Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I offer my picks for each and every day's matches at the 2022 Australian Open. Day 5, not my finest, 1-3, in three, down .72 units overall, and as you listeners know, we do not make excuses here at Crack Rackets. I vow to be better. I guarantee we will be better as we look towards day 6 and week number 2 of this event because there were some takeaways from our results on day 5, some things for us to learn from as we move forward throughout the rest of this event, you look at our losses on the day. Felt directionally correct about my Carlos Alcaraz pick despite his loss in five sets to Matteo Berrettini. Had Alcaraz just won two more games, whether they be in the first set when he had multiple breakpoint chances early on the Berrettini serve, whether, of course, it be that fifth set, you know, he flips the script, converts one of his early chances and takes it 7-5 or takes it 6-4. We would have covered uh, in that match. And again, so much credit to Matteo Berrettini. Served so well, hit the forehand so decisively, and deserves to be in the fourth round of this event. Now, I promise you, we will be seeing Carlos Alcaraz in second weeks of Grand Slams moving forward. Unfortunately, we will not be seeing him in the second week of the 2022 Australian Open. Nevertheless, despite the loss, I'm not deterred. Alcaraz played fantastic tennis. The fact that he almost came back from two sets to love down, almost came through on this ace of the day pick. It's a testament to his character, a testament to his talent. We're going to be seeing a lot of Carlos Alcaraz over the next decade on the ATP Tour. Of course, our other losses on the day very nearly came through. Vika, dominant over Svitolina. We nailed that one. Naomi Osaka had a chance to win against Amanda Nisimova. It's a third set super breaker. Unfortunately, Nisimova executes a bit better down the home stretch. She takes it 7-6 in the third. You flip 10 points in that match. Naomi Osaka is your champion. You could probably flip three of them in that uh, third set breaker. So again, yes, we missed, but not a brutal miss, in my opinion, on that one. The one that I do feel worse about uh, on day five and the thing I think I learned the most from, should have just realized Aslan Karatsev was gassed. He had won a warm-up event the week heading into this Australian Open. That's, what, four or five matches there and five sets in his first-round match against Haomi Munar, four sets in his second-round match against Mackenzie McDonald. It was very clear by the end of that Mackey match, even when he was winning and striking the ball well, that he wasn't moving as explosively as Karatsev normally does. And obviously, you look at his matchup yesterday, he was playing a guy in Adrian Manorino who was not only coming off of a straight-set victory, but a straight-set victory over the number 10 seed. And so... Again, that one's on me. Should have played the results. Should have played the eye test. Realized Karatsev didn't have it. I played the numbers instead of playing what my instinct told me. 
Take the L on that one. That's the one I feel worse about. Now, I do feel pretty good. I mentioned yesterday, all of the margins in these matches so thin, particularly on the men's side. Feels like you're guaranteed to see at least four sets, if not the five sets thrillers we were treated to yesterday. And of course, if you want to hear my recap of yesterday's action, hop on over to the Mini Break podcast feed where we're recapping each and every day of this event. But as such, took a couple over three and a half sets in the matches yesterday, whether it was the aforementioned Alcaraz Berrettini or the Corda PCB match and Chapo Opelka matches, and all of them deliver the goods, going at least four sets or further as such. We hit on that three over parlay, and you know, we salvaged the day. One and three overall, down 0.72 units. That leaves us at 13 and 15, up 0.57 units still overall for the event. We want to be up heading into the second week. There's nothing worse than chasing victories in week number two when the margins are even thinner and everyone's very good and it's just who plays well on a given day that so frequently dictates the results that we see unfold. That said, we still have one more day in day number uh, in week number one, excuse me, to build ourselves a margin, right? Build ourselves some padding as we turn the calendar towards week number two of this event. Of course, as always, what I want to do in case we have any new listeners here is run you through the day's action. Talk about the money lines I'm looking at most closely. Offer you the tennis abstract draw forecast percentages. What sort of 60-40 or 55-45 matches do we have on the day? What are the lopsided matches according to both the odds and the percentages. And then I want to talk about how we find value in that board we have. Talk you through the money lines I like most, the parlays, over-unders, spreads I have in mind. So with all of that said, let's get into it. Here are my day six picks, my GSP aces of the day. Let's start with the percentages from our friends at Tennis Abstract. You look here on day number six, one men's match, four women's matches within that 60-40 margin. In particular, the women's side, toss-up after toss-up after toss-up. You look at the board we have on the day, Danielle Collins. 54.8% favorite over Clara Tawson, but did anyone see what Clara Tawson did to Annette Conteve in round number two, defeating the number six seed, 6-2-6-4, having the biggest weapons on the court and serving her way to so many plus one opportunities, dictating from the start of that match, playing number six Annette Conteve on her terms. Yes, Danielle Collins has played extraordinarily well. She has yet to drop a set in this tournament, looked very impressive in a second round victory over Anaconia and... You know, there are some similarities between what Clara Tawson and Anaconia do on the court. That said, I mean, Tawson's on fire right now. And the former world junior number one was one of the most successful players of last season. I believe two WTA titles, an additional final as well. Was waiting for that signature win. Finally gets that first top 10 win over Conteve in round number two. Now, normally you wonder, oh, might there be a hangover for a young player after that sort of victory? If you have followed Clara Tawson, if you have ever spoken to her, and I've had the privilege of being able to do that, you know how focused she is on the day-to-day task at hand for her to become a Grand Slam champion. She is going to maximize her talent, whatever that talent may be, not only a student of the game, but someone who loves to be out there competing as well, has that fire, has that passion. Obviously, Danielle Collins has those things in spades as well. It's going to be hard-hitting. And this is, therefore, in my mind, a toss-up. Of course, you look at the odds via our friends at DraftKings. They also have it as a toss-up. Slight lean to Tossin, minus 115 to Collins, minus 105. Again, Collins, the slight favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. You look at the other close matches by the percentages. Sabalenka, a 54.2% favorite on Tennis Abstract. But, of course, Marketa Vondrusova, 
Minus 145 favorite, according to our friends at DraftKings. And that's very much an eye test sort of play, right? You look for Von Drusova. Uh, she's cruised straight sets, impressive victory over Ludmilla Samsonova in round number two. Sabalenka, what was it, 21 double faults in match number one. I know there were 19 in match number two. There were, excuse me, 12 double faults in match number one, 19 double faults in match number two. The 20 double faults, of course, came in her prior appearances here in 2022 before the start of the Australian Open. I want to get back to that match momentarily, but obviously from a percentages standpoint, that's a fascinating one. You look at some of the other money lines on the day that might be worth individual plays. If you feel strongly about tomorrow's Zidanezic or Alize Cornet, more power to you. Cornet, a minus 150 favorite. I actually think of all the underdogs, Zidanezic at one, plus 125, my favorite on the day. Now, of course, Tennis Abstract also has Alize Cornet as a favorite, 57.2%. But that's an interesting one. You know, Cornet didn't have to do much against Muguruza. She had to be good in the outer thirds of the court, but Muguruza was so indecisive and so, you know, she just lacked confidence. She was questioning herself, questioning every decision she made out there, and Alize Cornet just played high percentage tennis and capitalized off that fact and does have sneaky explosiveness in the outer thirds. I believe looking to make her first fourth round in Australia since 2009. Tamara Zidanezic's playing with house money, moving the ball really well, moving extraordinarily well herself. This is an interesting match, but ultimately, again, a stay away because in terms of value, obviously, plus 125, I like Zidanezic. Since it is a toss-up, give me the underdog just inherently, but that's a stay away for me. If anything, I'm looking at the over three and a half, uh, over two and a half sets in that match, excuse me, which would be plus 145. Ditto, by the way, for Toss and Collins. I think that match has three sets written all over it. If you do as well, that is also plus 145. You know, the lopsided favorites, Halep, Kavinich, you're not getting good odds on that. Halep, a 93.1% favorite. Uh, Kanepi, Inglis, that one's a little bit more intriguing. You probably throw that in the parlay zone, given Kanepi minus 350, and that feels a little light, if we're being honest. We'll keep our eye on that. Mertens minus 380 over Shui Zhang. Uh, you know, Pavlachenkova is an interesting one because she hasn't faced the toughest opponents, but she's cruised against both of them. She gets a very much informed Serana Kirstea. Pavlachenkova minus 225 favorite in that one. That's a stay away. Iga Sviantek, minus 280 over Kasekina. Iga's played so well. So has Kasekina. You just feel like everything Kasekina can do, Iga can do with a bit more sting, though. And at minus 280, again, it's not an individual value play, but we keep our eye on that. And we'll throw that one in the parlay zone. Now, that's the women's side matches. On the men's side, again, only one match within the 60-40 framework. That's Fritz, RBA. Fritz, actually a 57.9% favorite against RBA, according to Tennis Abstract. This match was originally a pick Now, slightly in RBA. He's minus 115 to Fritz's 105. I'd probably do the RBA play just because physically, again, Talk about a gifted, uh, talk about a guy who's just at the peak of his powers. If you watched ATP Cup, watched his match against Cole Schreiber, that was the differentiating factor between him and all of his opponents. And of course, that's what you need to do against Taylor Fritz. You need to make the match physical, get him stretched in the outer thirds, extend rallies. Fritz is striking the ball so well, though, of course, and his serve is the biggest weapon on the court. And he's playing confidently, hitting confidently. If anything, 
I like over three and a half sets in that. Now, obviously, bookmakers do it as well. It's minus 220. You don't look at that individually, but maybe you throw that in the mix with something else. That is what we call a tease, folks, in this business. You look at the other closest matches via tennis abstract, FAA Evans, 62, 38% FAA, the favorite. Dan Evans got a withdraw from Rinder Kanesh in round number two. FAA, obviously, two physical matches against Rusevori and Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, respectively. And that's why, you know, FAA right now a minus 120 favorite. I do think on paper... FAA's strengths, big serve, big forehand into that Dan Evans backhand time after time after time. If both players were fresh, you would lean FAA. But Evans has had a couple of days off. Felix has played two physical matches. We're calling this the Karatsev rule. I would have bet on FAA had we not just watched Aslan Karatsev just run out of gas at the end of that match. And I'm a bit worried because Dan Evans right now is so physically fit, so adept at extending points. I still think the FAA weapons overwhelm Evans in the end, but I think that match is going over three and a half sets. Again, keep that in mind. As we move forward, Cressy O'Connell. Cressy, it's freaking crazy that he's a minus 185 favorite to freaking reach uh, the fourth round of a Grand Slam. Maxime freaking Cressy. I suppose, listeners, you may not know him as deeply as I do. I knew him when he was you know, on the bench for UCLA, had no prospects of playing, and then was a five singles player for them before making this massive leap forward. And obviously, now he belongs in the top 100, and he is the favorite over O'Connell. If anything, though, you throw Cressy in the parlay zone, but who knows? Everything's gone so well for him. You know, minus 180 is tasty odds, though. That is smack dab. In the parlay zone, Rublev Chilic, Rublev, slight favorite here. I believe minus 350, so more than slight, 65.5% favorite. But Chilic is 16 and 4 in his last 20 matches. And, you know, the difference being Rublev has the weapons to stretch Chilic and make him play, but Chilic has the weapons to stretch Rublev and just first strike tennis, name of the game in that matchup. Go with the player who's serving well. You probably say Chilich is serving a bit better, so maybe you do like the underdog play there if you're going to play that match at all, but that's a stay away from me. I don't want any part of that. And then, you know, Demonauer, Andahar, Tsitsipas pair, Vandesen, Skolpa versus Medvedev. You're not getting good odds uh, on any. Oh, and Sinner, Daniel as well. You're not getting good odds on the money lines there. So with all of that said, I've set the scene. That's the board here on day number six. Which of those matches do I like the most to make plays on? I would say Sabalenka, plus 135 over Von Drusva. And I, I hope some of you right now haven't slammed on the brakes and said, Alex, you need to go sleep. You've officially lost it. But I have this pet theory. Again, Sabalenka without expectations is by far the most dangerous arena, Sabalenka. And she's essentially playing with house money, right? There are no expectations of her. Von Drusva is the betting odds favorite. To win this match, that's indicative of the fact that the public has been watching. And when you hit 19 double faults or more three times in your first four matches of a season, that's a flashing red light as an issue. But to me, the thing I keep coming back to is, despite serving as poorly as she has, she won her first two matches in this event. And I know Storm Saunders, Shin Wang, they are not the opponent Marketa Vandrusova is. Vandrusova, the lefty, and just, you know, I think she's a top five mover on the WTA Tour. The drop shot she throws in, the angles that she plays, her willingness to, you know, elevate balls, throw junk at you, and then her ability to use that athleticism to absorb, redirect your pace, just puts a million balls in play, asks every question of you. If you're doubting your confidence, it's a really tricky opponent to play. But on paper, 
I mean, this is a matchup Sabalenka should thrive in. And A, you know, when we saw these two players play last year, let's be clear, Sabalenka did thrive in this matchup. You look for Arena Sabalenka in her career against Marketa Vondrusova. They've played four uh, different times, two and two overall, but the last time they played was a comfortable win. For Sabalenka last season, as you look, she knocked off on Drusova 1-2 when they played it in the round of 16 in Miami. And, I mean, the big thing was, you know, how comfortable Arena Sabalenka was on the return of serve. She, you know, broke uh, Von Drusova four times, but, you know, four times on nine breakpoint chances. And obviously, is still winning the match 6-1, 6-2, was serving far more comfortably there. But even if she struggles a bit on serve, is what I'm trying to say here at the start of this match— I think she is still going to have those opportunities to break Von Drusova. I think Sabalenka is striking the ball very cleanly. She looks as though she's moving really well also. And, of course, there's still the fluctuations in level. As good as she can look for 15 minutes, she can look that much worse for a solid 10 to 12-minute stretch as well. We've seen a lot of those 10 to 12-minute stretches over the first two weeks, though, and it feels like at the end of each of those matches, we've slowly seen her ascend towards her peak and get closer and closer to the Sabalenka we saw at multiple times throughout the course of last season, the Sabalenka who made the semifinals of the U.S. Open and the uh, and Wimbledon at the end of last year. I, I really do. I'm, I'm a Sabalenka believer. Like, I, I know that through and through. I think her power tennis or combination of strength and athleticism it's just not—it's a very rare combo to see in the women's game. And just, again, I, her willingness to move forward, I think she does have enough foot speed to cr- track down to those drop shots. And I think with the pace that she plays with, that's a really difficult ball to try and hit a drop shot off of. And it somewhat neutralizes what Von Drusova does. Now, of course, if she hits 20 double faults, Von Drusova is too good, and she's going to make her pay in this one. The serve has to be better. But I'm betting here, match number five of the season, this is the one where the Sabalenka serve takes a step forward and the rest of her game is already there. It's just waiting for that serve to join it. You got to find an upset on this day and that the number two seed would be considered an upset. And let's be clear, this would be considered an upset. I'm in on it. Give me Sabalenka, plus 135. I feel good about that pick. Now, only quarter of a unit good, 0.25 to win 0.33, but I I just think there's a money line upset on, or some sort of money line pick we can land today. And again, I'm not comfortable enough with Zidanezic over Cornet. If FA was fresh, I'd do it over Evans, but he's just not fresh. RBA Fritz, Fritz is playing too well. You got to respect the game of the young American. Give me Sabalenka to just remind everyone how talented she can be. Even when playing erratic tennis, she's going to find herself in the second week of the Australian Open. And that is the gift, folks, that keeps on giving. That is your money line play on the day. Now, again, we talk about entering the third round, these matches, the margins between these players thinner and thinner. Over-unders, spreads become that much more important to me during this stretch of the tournament. And you look at the over-unders, and I listed some of them. Tossin Collins, plus 145. Zidancic Cornet, plus 145. von Drusova, plus 150. I don't have that listed as an ace of the day because I don't like to double dip on a match just in case I'm extraordinarily wrong about it. But, it, you know, that feels like a pretty good bet given that, you know, I think all but three of Arena Sabalenka's last 20 losses have come in three sets. So even if she loses, she still manages to steal a set. Kirstea Pavlochenkova, another one, plus 160. I like that at over two and a half sets. On the men's side, you know, Botik Vandesenskulp. It, the fact that it's plus 160, all he's got to do is win one set off of Medvedev. I mean, that's a lot of respect for Daniil Medvedev. And certainly, what's the Botic weapon to hurt Medvedev with? You feel like there's a lot that Botic does that Medvedev does just a little bit better. 
But Botic's a shot maker, and he'll move forward, and he'll hit drop shots, and he'll make you uncomfortable. And when you make someone who li- makes a living off of making people uncomfortable uncomfortable as well, whether it's sort of similar to the Roberto Bautista Gut matchup for Medvedev, what's he going to do to dictate other than the serve and you know the opportunities that serve creates? And so I could see BVDZ stealing this at plus 160. That's interesting to me. O'Connell Cressy minus 200. That's too much respect. Uh, or I mean, that's indicative of like that minus 180 money line they're like we something's fishy there uh rublev chilich minus 265 i think that match very very likely to go over three and a half sets as well but the two overs that appeal to me the most are the two matches i keep referring to roberto bautista gut versus fritz and faa versus evans simply put we'll start with the roberto bautista gut versus taylor fritz fritz is playing too well and he has to be respected right now with that serve and his weapons that he hits the bigger ball then Roberto Bautista Gut. His serve is the biggest weapon on the court. And foundationally, if that's a place where you're starting, that's where you like to be. And, you know, RBA is a guy who likes to work his way into points, exchange backhand cross-court rallies with you and bait you into prematurely attacking down the line and hitting that approach shot from an uncomfortable position. The difference against Taylor Fritz is just you can't give him that sort of time to do that. And I do think for RBA, when he does hit that on-the-run cross-court forehand, which I've said before, top five on-the-run forehand in the men's game, that's going to be an issue for uh, Taylor Fritz. Tracking down that ball and not leaving that ball short for RBA to just attack inside out as he does so well— that's the pattern for RBA for success in this match. You know, Fritz goes down the line with the backhand too early. RBA gets him stretched then on that next ball, and then RBA can attack. But Taylor Fritz can also play front foot tennis. And there will be a lot of times when RBA tries to bait Fritz on that backhand wing, and Fritz just hits through him, whether it be down the line, whether it be winning the backhand cross-court rallies again— I think RBA is a better volleyer. I think he's got the edge as a mover. He puts more returns in the court, but Taylor Fritz is the more explosive hitter of these two players. And I just think this match, I think Fritz is playing so confidently and hitting the ball so well that I do think he's very, very likely to take at least one set in this match. And then I think the physicality of RBA, he's not losing this match in straight sets. Given I can't see the clear recipe, over three and a half sets makes sense. Ditto, by the way, for FAA versus Evans, as well as Dan Evans is moving right now, the serve, the forehand of Felix are going to give him problems. As confidently as Felix is playing right now, nine sets of tennis in his first two matches, ATP Cup to start the season. There's no doubt there's going to be some fatigue on the body, and you just can't afford that against Dan Evans because he does continue to ask questions of you, and he does put you in stressful and uncomfortable positions on the court. I think both guys take a set in that match. I think Dan Evans is far too diligent a competitor and just fiery to go out in straight sets, and I think FAA is going to ultimately win the match in four. So give me the over three and a half sets in both FAA Evans and RBA Fritz. Now, they're both minus 220 odds. On their own, papoo. You parlay them together, and I know that's bold, but we hit on one of these yesterday. Let's roll the dice, try to go for it again. RBA Evans, uh, RBA Fritz, Evans FAA, over three and a half set parlay, plus 111 odds. Now we're talking. Let's throw half a unit on that one to win 0.55. Those are the over-unders I like best. In terms of the spreads, I don't really love any of the spreads individually. Now, Kavinich plus seven and a half games over Halep. Are we really like, yeah, I know Radakanu's hand was busted up and I know Halep's been playing well. 
Seven and a half games is a lot, right? That's six two six three, or you know, uh, it's got to be worse than six two six three. That's all Kvinish has to do to cover that spread. I mean, five games, four and one. Like she can't do four and one or two and three. I absolutely or zero oh and five. Like a hundred percent. I think that's in the cards for Dunka Kvinich. Who, if you give her time, and Simona Halep will give you time, she can strike the ball very, very well. And just the heaviness of her ball again helps better at just about everything, but. Plus seven and a half games is a lot. Minus one thirty-five. That's an interesting one. Kanepi minus four and a half over Inglis. I think she wins. Actually, minus one twenty. I like that one a lot. That would be an ace of the day. If I didn't have Kanepi and something else, ditto for Elisa Mertens minus four and a half games over Zhang at minus one thirty. Ditto for Sviantek too over Kasakina, who again I just think Sviantek does everything that Kasakina does a little bit better with a little bit more pace. Pavlochenkova, two and a half games over Kerse if you like her, minus 150, but that's not for me. The two I like most on the men's side, the two that we're going to get some action on here, Tsitsipas minus six and a half over Pear, Sinner minus six and a half over Daniel. Now, the lines for those, not the great greatest. Tsitsipas is minus 195, Sinner's minus 190, but we're not going to bet them individually. We're going to bet both of these players to win their matches comfortably, but rather than take them on the money lines where the odds are far worse, we're going to take them on the game spread. And again, six and a half games. That's a 4-4-3 four, four, and three victory. That's a 5-5-3 five, five, and three victory. That's a 6-4-3 you know, and three victory, a 6-3-3 three, and three victory, all of these different permutations, whatever you want to do. It's pretty much six and a half games is a straight set victory, and hopefully you don't serve second in every set because that would be really, really crappy because then you're winning 6-4, 6-4, 6-4, and we lose by half a game. I'm going to bet that, A, Tsitsipas and Sinner build themselves some margins in this matchup, but B, again, look at the matchups. Yeah, Benoit Paire was excellent, again, in beating Grigor Dimitrov, but... Dimitrov was not excellent. You know, Dimitrov was handing him plenty of free points throughout the course of that match. I just think Tsitsipas has played better than that. I actually think Pears the worst of his three opponents thus far in Baez and Emer and just the test those two guys present in three out of five sets. I think Tsitsipas will hit right through the gimmicks of Benoit Pair, attack that forehand with pace, be comfortable going backhand to backhand with him, despite how comfortable Benoit Pair is on that backhand wing. I think Tsitsipas wins comfortably. I think Sinner, or Pair celebrated that last match like it was his Super Bowl. And then, you know, again, as good as Taro Daniel was against Andy Murray, Taro Daniel, you know, Andy Murray could not hurt Taro Daniel. Yannick Sinner hurts everyone, and Yannick Sinner's yet to drop a set in this tournament. I don't think he drops a set against Taro Daniel either. You parlay those two things, Tsitsipas minus six and a half games over pair, Sinner minus six and a half games over pair, plus 130 odds. This is our ace of the aces of the day. We're throwing a full unit on this bad boy. One to win 1.3. Again, Tsitsipas should beat Pair definitively. Sinner should beat Daniel definitively. I feel good about that matchup. This feels like the most valuable way to bet on those two heavy favorites. Let's do that. That's our money, uh, our parlay, excuse me, of the game spread. Sinner, Tsitsipas, plus 130. One unit to win 1.3. Of course, I know I just offered you two parlays, but I've got a money line parlay or two in my back pocket as well. Let's do that here last. The one I ended up going with, and I mentioned these three players in their game spread. I think Mertens beats Zhang. It's 16th consecutive third round for her. This might be one of the better third round draws that she's had. Minus 380. You know, Zhang's going to pressure her, certainly. But 
Burton's has the plan B, plan C, plan D. She's got a response to anything any opponent throws at her. The problem for her is when you throw overwhelming pace at her, and I don't think Zhang possesses that overwhelming pace, the definitive advantage from a weapons perspective. So give me Mertens to read through that. Give me Sviantek. This is one certainly you're worried about, minus 280 over Kasekina. Kasekina's played great, but I just think slow, high-bouncing hard courts. There's a reason Iga's looked as good as she has here in the month of January. I think she knocks out Kasekina, just has the bigger weapons, is willing to be as consistent. And, you know, again, I'm looking forward to seeing the heaviness of that Sviantek ball. How does Kasekina handle that? I think every advantage is to Sviantek. Minus 280 will throw her in here as well. And then last but not least, let's throw in Kaya Kanepi. Minus 350 over Inglis. Kanepi, a fantastic January last year. Another fantastic January here. Madison Inglis never made a third round of an Australian Open before, let alone a fourth round you know, for Inglis, earns her first top uh, 10 win ever, a uh, top, excuse me, 50 win uh, against Layla Fernandez. I believe if you look for Madison Inglis, I believe she's 1 in 11. Yeah, 1 in 11 in her career in tour level matches against top 50 opponents. Uh, you look for her against just the top 100 in general in her career, 5 and 16 overall. I think Kanepi gets her. I think Kanepi is through to the fourth round of this event. I think this is where the run for Inglis ends. Again, you never bet against an Australian on the home turf unless you're confident their opponent has every edge on the tennis court. And yeah, Inglis is 23 years old. I still think Kanepi has every edge on the tennis court. So money line parlay, Mertens minus 380, Kanepi minus 350, Sviantek minus 280. You throw all of them together, plus 120 odds. We'll take it. On day six, not going to get much better than that. I feel very good about our day four, uh, day six, excuse me. Don't feel good about the number of the day. I feel very good about those picks. You know, the futures odds start to get more and more narrow. Some of them that jump out to me, a Barty Shiontek final plus 700, Barty Sabalenka, funny enough, plus uh, 20 to one. So I'm not going to do that latter one, but that's just a funny number. But Barty Sviantek, 7-1, to one, very, very tasty. Zverev Medvedev, plus 240. You could also do Rafa Medvedev, plus 275, if that's your preferred flavor. And if you want to bet any of those guys or Sinner, in my opinion, it's going to be one of those four winning. Medvedev, plus 125. If you want to bet anyone but Medvedev, I'd go bet a unit each on Zverev, plus 350, Rafa, plus 400, Sinner, plus uh, 14 to 1. Any of them hit, you cover all three, uh, all four, excuse me, three, excuse me, of the bets. That's it on the men's side. On the women's side, still Barty, plus 125, Sviantek, plus 650. I think Azarenka, 13 to 1, has to be considered. Now, Krejcikova's just gotten close enough to where 20 to 1 is very, very interesting. Halep, the probably best value play would be minus 125 for her to win the quarter. Again, Barty Sviantek plus 700, though, as a final, probably my favorite on the futures board. But we're going to leave those aside for now. These are my picks for day six of the 2022 Australian Open. To recap, give me the Sabalenka plus 135 money line. We're rolling the dice on the big hit in number two seed. Quarter of a unit on that only to win 0.33. Three parlays for you down the home stretch. We'll start with the overs. Over three and a half sets in FAA Evans. Over three and a half sets in RBA Fritz. Plus 111 if you do that. Half a unit on it to win 0.55. Our ace of the aces, Sinner, Tsitsipas, both to cover minus six and a half game spreads. You parlay that together. Plus 130. One full unit 
to win 1.3. Then last but certainly not least, three favorites, Mertens, Kanepi, Sviantek, all to advance to the Australian Open second week, plus 120 on the money lines, half a unit to win 0.6. Those are my picks for day six GSP aces of the day. Now, of course, if you want to hear a recap of all the action in Melbourne, how about over to our mini break podcast feed? You can find recaps of every day's play, learn about everything that's transpired on the grounds at the Australian Open. Of course, we'll be back here each and every day for our picks as well. Patreon match of the day segments for those in our Crack Rackets Patreon family. And as always, of course, a shout out to all of you listeners who have continued to tune in day in, day out, and hopefully are in the winner's circle right alongside with us. But with all of that said, those are your picks. We hope you enjoy Day 6's matches. And as always, may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Oh, and of course, shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff for the editing job he does. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 